What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how are you doing? I would like to make an honorary inclusion into our introduction. Talk to me. I realize we haven't really talked about Jonathan Chamo Chachua's return. And we have not. How and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point come March because that man is doing things that he was not doing before his injury and that he should not be doing at this point, which is absolutely incredible and so happy for him. But I want to at least give, show him some love and give him give him a shout out with everything he's been through. He's back on the court, which is sensational. We hadn't really gotten a chance to mention it. So I thought I'd do it here. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things that has less to do with Baylor and more to do with how many teams at the top of the Big 12 weren't supposed to be at the top of the Big 12. Right. right. It would be one thing if it was like, okay, Texas and Kansas are clearly the two best teams, and then you get JTT back, and it's like, okay, is Baylor in part of that conversation? They were kind of knocking on the door, but as Baylor's slow start, and then you combine it with the fact that Iowa State is a top 25 team, and Kansas State is a top 25 team, despite being picked to finish eighth and 10th in the conference this year. And Texas is good. And Texas had the thing happen with Chris Beard and Kansas is like really good on some nights, but also on other nights can't hit the broad side of a barn offensively. And also the big 12 is just absolutely elite from top to bottom TCU, right. As well. There's so much to talk about that Baylor as a result of kind of sliding to the back of, to the back burner early in the season has not jumped back into the main conversation, maybe as much as you would have thought. But um, yes, if right, that was the thing that we were talking about early in, in the preseason is mm-hmm. if Baylor ultimately is going to be a title contender, it's probably going to involve him coming back and looking good. And so having him back on that team is especially in the way, you know, especially with the kind of makeup of that team and, it's kind of been how we expected. Like that team is really good offensively. That team is not good defensively. And JTT should in theory help with that. And now he's shooting threes. I mean, yeah, I'm very curious to see where this goes, but ultimately, obviously the most important thing, he is back on the court. That is awesome for him. Awesome for Baylor. Awesome for the big 12. Awesome for the sport. And what do you think? How long do you think it's been since he actually got back on the floor? Since like, you know, because we talked about, you know, when Tiger comes back, it's always, man, he better be lights out with the putter because all he could do was putt for six months, right? Like, like how long do you think it's been since he started consistently working on his game? And even if that just means standing on the three-point line and shooting threes, that's the point I'm getting at. Like how yeah, long okay, was he- it stationary shooting was the only thing that you were able to do? based on what our friend CJ Moore wrote in the athletic, it sounded like that was all he was doing for a long time. Right. Exactly. That, right. It makes sense why he's a much better shooter now is because, right. He couldn't do anything with his legs. Right. So it was shooting. Yeah. 357 days. He was sidelined with a knee injury. It's a long time. It's a long time. So, and I don't think anybody really thought it would be this soon. Yeah. There was talk about him missing this entire season, so it's just great mm-hmm. to see. For sure. Speaking of the Big 12, and speaking of there being other reasons to talk about other teams in the Big 12, that's what we're going to do today. We have a guest. 
Um, and we're finally going to talk about with somebody close to the program and covering the program on a daily basis. We're finally going to talk about Tang doing the dang thing. That's what we're going to do today. Um, and we've brought in from the Kansas State Collegian sports editor, the surprise sports editor, as you'll learn as the, you know, towards the end of, of the, the conversation that that was not the plan coming into the year, but alas, uh, Luke Lazarczyk joined the pod uh, today to talk K state, um, how Jerome Tang came into the program and kind of changed the way that it's wired and, and how he did that and completely changing the trajectory of this program in, in less than one year at the helm. So certainly a, a great conversation and one Josh that we've been trying to have for the better part of the last, you know, month and a half. Yeah. As soon as it became clear what was happening, we've been by wanting to get the inside scoop and it was, it was just great to kind of hear Luke add more detail and more context to the things we've been talking about the ways in which this program has changed and who Jerome Tang is. It was, mm. It was a lot of fun. This was everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> and Jerome Tang is awesome, ex- oh. except from reportedly not liking the Little Apple nickname, which makes me <laughs> sad to my very core. It's but, the first, you know, everybody's got to have a flaw, right? I suppose so. <laughs> but um, but but that's the only even kind of in the, the, the realm of negative that we got about Jerome Tang. So Luke Lazarczyk, the KSU Collegian Sports Editor. Let's go chat with him about the K-State season. Joining us now from the Kansas State Collegian Sports Editor of the Student Newspaper there, Luke Lazarczyk. Luke, thanks so much for taking the time to to chat with us. How are you today? I'm good, and thank you for having me. How are you guys? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, we're recording this on February 8th, uh, late afternoon on February 8th last night. Uh, Kansas State getting... Um, a double did 20 point, 20 point win, 20 plus point win over TCU, a TCU team without Mike Miles, but nonetheless, a convincing win for, for Kansas State. Uh, just want to start with your thoughts on, on last night's game, pretty balanced offensive performance from, from K State, and we're back to one game out in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought last night's game was pretty interesting, obviously, without Miles. Look, going into it, I was sort of just thinking, like, oh, that's a that's huge for K-State and Lampkins came back, but he didn't have the impact he usually would. So K-State was at a clear advantage. Um, the scoring was pretty even out. Of course, Noel and Johnson led it. It was really big for K-State to see a uh, Techie green have 13 points, nine rebounds. He has not had quite a productive year as many, including myself thought he would have, but this may be a big game for him sort of bounce back and maybe have a bigger impact going on to the year. Uh, defense for K-State looked pretty good. Uh, there still is the issue of turnovers, which Noel and Johnson, even though they've been playing so well, they have had turnovers. And Keontae, again, had some early foul trouble. But in general, this is sort of the path. If K-State wants to keep beating ranked opponents, this is the better path for them to have five players in double digits. Yeah, Sill said 14. Uh Gusan had 10. This is the better path than just Keontae and Marquise blowing up and each having 25. Yeah, that, that's been a theme we've been discussing since kind of this emergence has happened, mm-hmm. is kind of trying to find 
find the balance within this team. We, we want to kind of go back for a second before we get to where the team is, is at. And just as somebody on campus, when Jerome Tang gets hired, what was, what was the vibe kind of, what were the expectations before this team actually took the court in terms of obviously Jerome Tang has this impressive resume, the rebuild he, he helped oversee at Baylor, the national championship. What were kind of just the initial perceptions when he got this job? Early on, I think it was overall positive, but there was – you couldn't talk to one student, maybe the biggest K-State fan, and I don't know if they would even think it would be nearly as much as this. When Tanga – he brought a ton of energy his first press conferences. You could just tell right off the bat it was going to be different than Bruce Weber, and he brought in some talented transfers. But Keontae, that was later on, though, in the process. And so now looking at it, I think everyone's just in love with this basketball team. It, it's, football started off the year great, and now basketball is having such a fantastic year. Is especially to me, I, I've been shocked by what I've been seeing. And I I was not expecting this at all. What what uh, what do you think is is the reason for that? Right, it's one thing to have a team that's that's really good. It's another to have a team that you know you just use the word use the word love to describe the the emotion that the campus and the fan base kind of has what do you what do you think that's that's as that that's a result of is it tang is it more of this combination of players what do you kind of think it is i think this is tang the culture change that he has brought to k-state uh one of the big things here at k-state has always been the hatred for ku and k just one title and I don't know how much you've been following along, but the FKU chants were happening in football, and then there's a huge thing, and they stopped it. And Tang has just changed the culture where it's not about, oh, let's beat KU. It's about, let's be great ourselves to where KU isn't this own thing, where it's like we always have to reach up to them. They have to reach up and compete with us. So I think just the way see, change, uh, Tang just does everything the way it changed. It seems like the team is so bought in together. Last year, it's not like the team was dysfunctional or anything, but it just it wasn't the same. This year, everyone's brought in, bought in together. It seems like family almost, and that's just with he's so supportive of his players. And then when it comes to the actual talent, he brought in a lot of athletic players, and instantly you can see it on the court. His players just like Tomlin. He's a very raw player who still a lot of the players you'll see they probably could fine tune their overall fundamentals, but everyone has great talent and great potential. And he even helping Marquise Noel become a star in college basketball after last year. He was just this shorter, feisty guard, and now he the most assists last night. He earned the most assists single season k-state history so it's really just tang bringing everyone together and uplifting everyone combined with the athletic potential of the roster going on the the roster idea for a second when you actually saw this roster come together right because it when tang got hired it basically didn't exist you hold Mm -hmm. over two players of course noel being one of them and then He's rebuilding this thing from scratch. Juco, different kinds of transfers. You get Keontae Johnson, who hasn't played college basketball in a couple years after everything that he went through. When you actually saw this team that was going to be Kansas State men's basketball this season, how? what were kind of your initial impressions? And 
what has surprised you most? You kind of talked about this family feel, right? These are guys who weren't playing with each other, mm-hmm. you know, last season or anything like that. Just what, what have you kind of seen in terms of the transformation and this roster exceeding everybody's mm-hmm. expectations, it seems like? That is something that's very just insane, the family feel with only having two players returning. That's just something to think about what he's done. But uh, the roster, uh, when I was doing my research and I, I wrote a couple of sort of not, I just wrote a couple of things about a few of the players for the collegian early on when transfers coming in. Uh, Colbert, 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 I'm always terrible with names, even though I have a tough last name myself. Uh, but he's not, he's not even playing much. Um, Camp Carter, I wrote about a few of them. Tomlin, and it it looked like Tang was building a roster similar to Baylor, where it's athleticism and then some shooting. <clears throat> And it looked very similar to that and where there's not necessarily maybe a center on the court at all times. So right away, doing my research, I could sort of tell, okay, these have guys have potential. Cam Carter was a higher recruit. He didn't do much at Mississippi State, but he's coming in here. He has a potential, which I think you could has been shown lately. Sills, they, they've talked about how he's a winner, another shooter, and then Tomlin – Tomlin probably has the greatest potential of any player. Only this is only his uh, third year playing basketball, organized basketball, <laughs> which is insane. And sometimes you yeah. can tell because like he's dribbling up here and his fundamentals aren't there. But you could tell if he if he rounds out all his fundamentals, if he just takes the off season really keens in on that, he could be a legit maybe pro prospect in my opinion. And so you could just see the potentials there. You just I didn't think it would click this fast. I thought it would take some time. My expectations were like to uh, to just be fighting for March Madness. Like one of my writers, uh, one of my freshman writers, he gave me an idea before the year about how we could have like a weekly or biweekly thing of keeping track of where K-State is in March Madness for the paper and like their quad one wins, quad two wins. And, and, that, and it's like, oh, that, that was a great idea, but it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You, you know all of those things right the the, the potential and kind of, and tang putting together this roster it all is it all is spearheaded with the fact that marquis noel and keontae johnson are two of i mean at kimpom they're two of the five best players yeah. you know in, in kimpom's all conference rankings they're number two and number four um in those rankings so right there's this this roster construction that makes sense and there's potential and then you have two guys that are both playing at all big 12 that are playing at you know marquise noel is a you know uh you know best point guard in college Mm -hmm. basketball you know finalist was there was there a moment and maybe you know we'll, we'll of course get into kind of their big 12 performances and some of where they, you know, where they really exploded early mm-hmm. in Big Twelve play, but was there a time before that, or at any point before they kind of bursted onto the scene with these massive performances, that you thought, okay, like Marquise is not the same guy he was last year. Um, something's been unlocked this year, and Keontae is is really really special as well. Is there a moment that you can think of uh, that that maybe it clicked? Like, man, these guys are are not just good on this team, not just good in this conference, but good, but really, really good relative to the rest of the country. Um, I'm here looking at the schedule. I remember early on in non-conference play, Keontae's performances, I knew that he would be a huge part of the team. And I knew that Noel would have, I wasn't necessarily bought into Noel for a little bit. 
he was playing really well, but I remember times last year where I mean the the deep shooting is just like it's just like what? Like I think I saw it a couple times last year. We're just like what? He's looking away after shoots. Like each time he looks away, you know it's in. Um, I think the win on New Year's Eve against West Virginia in overtime was a good one, but um, Texas and Baylor, those back-to-back wins were huge. And that's like, okay, K-State, they're, K-State's a good team. And it's like, okay, Noel's a stud. He is just a stud. The The win against Oklahoma State probably cemented it for me that K-State was legit. It's like, okay, you got your two big upsets. Um, I believe the Texas win was uh, just after the Chris Beard situation. I believe so. And so I was sort of just like, okay, that's – we, I mean, 116, 116 points is 116 points. So I, I was like, the offense is legit. And then Baylor winning by two. At that point, the concern was defense, but the defense has picked up a ton lately. And the Oklahoma State win right after, even though Oklahoma State's not thought of as this great team, is not the not very similar to the Texas Baylor games where they're just shooting the lights out, but then they're getting scored on a ton. They had to dig down deep against good Oklahoma State defense. And that, that was the moment when I knew K-State was legit and it wasn't just some hot streak anymore. And that's that's one of the things we wanted to to ask you is we're, we're both Butler grads. Of course, Butler was the first team to beat this Kansas State team. And looking at how the season has gone for both those teams, it's going to be one of the strangest things that happens in college yeah. basketball this season. But you look at the the early schedule and kind of what you were alluding to there, right? This idea that there weren't necessarily those marquee wins to hold on to. So you get the Big 12 play, and you saw this with Iowa State last year, for example. Great non-conference, and it kind of fell apart when you were playing in the best conference in the country every single game. What What do you feel like kind of happened after that Butler loss? And, you know, you rattle off nine straight wins, and all of a sudden it's kind of like you were alluding to right? it's consistency. It's not just being able to upset mm-hmm. the best teams in the big 12. It's competing for a conference title. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see? And kind of how did that shift for you? Was there a moment where you realized that, Oh, it's not just that the team is good. It's that this team is right up there with, you know, the best teams in this conference and the best teams in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, right before Butler was, uh, it was in that, uh, I'm looking here real quick. Oh, the Cayman islands classic. Um, I remember uh, I think Noel hit a layup against Nevada. Nevada has always been generally, they had the Martin brothers, I believe. They've been a solid mm-hmm. program. So after that win, I was like, okay, that's a that's a pretty nice win. Then LSU, even though they had roster turnover, LSU's going to have talent. So that was another pretty good win. So that, at that point, I'm like, okay, it's looking like the team's building something here. And then after Butler, I was like, oh, man, all the momentum <laughs> just sort of died. But then a, a very uh, close low scoring game against Wichita state was a good bounce back. And then wasn't really too much competition. I mean, you got Allen Christian incarnate ward, Nebraska Radford before big 12 play. And so at that point, it's sort of like, let's just see big 12 play. And then the big 12 play obviously kicked in. And with those big wins, um, still probably the defining win was KU that that will be probably the defining win. And it was, an insane atmosphere after the game. I mean, you had the lob dunk and then Tang jumping up on the little seating area. Not, I was like, I got like chills during that. It's like, I have never seen anything like this in my life. 
And that's like that at that point, it's like K State could they're contend. I think that's the moment I was I was sold from because TCU was just destro- destroyed them game four. That's the moment I was like, okay, this is like if it's Final Four, I'm not going to be shocked at that point hmm. beating KU. I want to talk a little bit about because uh, you know on the right night and kind of you know what you've been getting at is right. It's one thing to beat Texas one sixteen one oh three, and then turn around and beat somebody in a completely different fashion. And on the right night, Kansas State looks like one of the best teams in the country. And mm-hmm. on of the you know they are one of the best teams mm-hmm. in the country. But on the nights that they look their best are often the times where. Right, it's really easy to look good when Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson mm-hmm. combine for sixty-four, or they combine for fifty-five. Um, and then there are times when you kind of flip it to the other side of the equation, and some of the nights where they don't look as good is, you know, for example, the first TCU game. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a eighty-two sixty-eight loss. Um, Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel they have thirty-four combined, but you know it was. You know, 34 and 55 and 34 and 64. Like, mm-hmm. there's a big difference there. And the rest of the team was, you know, you had, you got 12 total total points from the rest of the starting lineup mm-hmm. in that game. Um, Ty K. Green was was solid off the bench. Thank the Lord. That game could have been um, even more lopsided. Mm-hmm. The, th- the, the point I'm getting at here is, and we, and we saw it in this most recent TCU game that it was five guys in double figures. I don't think anybody had more than fourteen or fifteen. Maybe one of the um, one of the main guys got up to sixteen or eighteen. But mm-hmm. um, the point being is that right that more balanced performance. How how are you worried about that at all in terms of making a super deep run in March? Because at some point, at some point, everyone's going to run into the night that their best player is making an impact, but not, you know, it has a, a slower game or the other team has just decided we're going to stop that guy and make other guys beat us. Um, are you concerned about that and kind of who, if you are, which players do you think are most likely to step up and on a nightly basis through March be like that kind of third guy, or maybe it's a collection of guys to make sure that the offense doesn't fall flat on the days that Johnson and Noel don't have it going to the degree that they usually do. Um, I would say that the inconsistency in the supporting cast is definitely the biggest concern for K-State when it comes to making a deep run. I used to think that it was um, guarding like a premier center. The more I think about it, I think K-State's done a solid job against big men. I mean, except Lampkins was just dominant. And uh, I'm forgetting Texas lost uh, Bishop in the second half. He was... I, I was just watching, like, he is playing some great basketball, and that's, so that's an issue, but overall, a little consistency in the starting lineup, or in the, with the overall supporting cast, uh, Desi Sills is one guy that, if K-State were to make a deep run, I feel like Sills needs to be around that 10-point marker in March Madness, I think his, when he's hitting shots, and he was huge in that KU game, he was quite possibly the best player for K-State, he just, he had 24, but I, I don't remember exactly, but he just he didn't shoot a lot near like the final four minutes in overtime. He probably could have got 30 if he got more shots. So someone like Sills, I think Tomlin doesn't need to be a scorer per se. He just needs to do all the right, get the rebounds, good defense play, don't make silly turnovers, stuff like that. Uh, Green, that's, I think 
that development is a storyline to watch because I personally going into the year sort of knew it would be Keontae and expecting Marquise. And it's like, who else is there going to be? And just doing my research, I was thinking Green was going to be like possibly that third guy for K-State. And then he just, his minutes dipped. And then having a performance like last night, I think if he can become a consistent player off the bench and his scoring, I think that that could really elevate the potential of K-State because they seem not to be too much of an upset potential, but more of they need to be able to beat that big team when maybe Noel is shooting five for 16 and Keontae's seven for 18. And it's just like someone else needs to score 15 and someone else needs to score 15 as well. And so the guard play will be big. And I, Carter as well. Carter's had some nice moments. It's been a while since he's had a huge game. But so Sills, Carter, Green, one of them, and then uh, Big 12-ish. Uh, if, if he can just hit his open threes like he does most of the time, that's that's another aspect that's huge to the team. So more of those perimeter players, I believe, for K-State who could step up and help them have a bigger run in March Madness. On Marquise Noel in particular, before we kind of start looking at the rest of the Big 12 schedule here, obviously he decides to stick around, like you said. He was you know, a good player last season, but he wasn't on anybody's radar as one of the mm-hmm. best returning players in the country or anything like that. What kind of just being around him, watching what he's meant to this team and kind of him becoming sort of the face of this incredible resurgence or rise, whatever you want to call it. Just what, what do you feel like this has kind of been for him? What has he, he said about having this kind of opportunity? You know, I'm seeing him talk, say things like we're, you know, we've got to believe nobody can beat us. We're the best team in, in the country. Just what has the, what do you feel like this experience has been like for him? And what does he now mean to this school as kind of the guy who, who stuck around and is now getting to, to have his moment with this team? Mm-hmm. Well, going back to when everyone transfers, Weber leaves, Tang comes in. Um, well, everyone was waiting on Nigel Pack, who transferred to Miami. Everyone, cause Nigel Pack, watching him last year, like, man, this guy could shoot. The shots he was making were just insane. It's very much like Marquise this year, what Nigel was doing last year. And that was just sort of, can he stay? Can he stay? But at the same time, while everyone's worrying about that, Marquise is just recruiting he is trying to get anyone um antoine davis i'm i'm i believe that's right for detroit yep i i'm he was going after him hard i remember he was on campus and marquise was saying something about on twitter i think he i think he had a delete tweet i'm not sure as it's been about a year or something about with uh antoine davis them hanging out doing signature i i don't remember uh, the exact details but he was just pressing recruiting and uh there's an article by uh, my former sports editor landon reinhardt where he interviewed marquise and his heart over talent i believe was the title and so he's always had that edge or like that dog in him and just to explode into what he is now he's sort of he's the backbone of the team Keontae's probably the better player, more talented player. But what Marquise brings as a leader, he's I, he's talked about multiple times, just helping lead younger players, new players, helping with Tang. It's sort of, it's like, uh, I'm trying to think of the comparison here, but it's like he's Tang's like uh, 
it's like Batman and Robin sort of Tang's <laughs> Batman, but Marquise is Robin and just the culture. I, I don't think it would be possible for, for K-State to do what they've done this year and for Tang to do what they've done this year without Noel's impact, not just on the court, but off the court and what he brings his team. And when you watch him playing out there, it's just this gritty toughness and where sometimes I'm still looking at him just like, what? I still don't know where this performance came from. It's just, it's, it's really a testament to his work because he, he goes out there. He's probably outperformed many players who are obviously physically more gifted than him and probably more talented than him. But it's just the work he's put in and what he's done. It's really cool to see. We'll see what goes beyond this year. Obviously, trying to go to the NBA, 5'9", that's really tough. I always think of him as Jose Alvarado on the Pelicans, which is just, <laughs> just shorter. I could see him hiding on the baseline, yep. just coming out of nowhere and stealing the ball. I could see him being that type of guy. But to see what he's done, it's just it's fantastic to see. And no matter what happens the rest of the year, I think this is something he can always be proud of, that he was maybe the biggest or the second biggest reason for one, one of the better turnarounds, single-season turnarounds college basketball I've seen probably in my time as a fan and as a reporter now. We just need to get him on the floor against Chris Paul, and then we can lock him down. I'd be waiting for some type of eye poke or something. <laughs> or just something would happen there. Um, yeah, I mean, if I mean, it, it, Alvarado has carved himself a nice niche in the mm-hmm. NBA, and certainly, certainly the avenue exists for for Marquise as well. Yeah, it's. I think it's it's an underrated thing for your the most important player on your team to be a guy that was there the year before. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that's what what Texas might have run into a little bit last year mm-hmm. was that they're you know, it's one thing to have guys come back that understand what it means to play basketball in the program and you know even with even with a new coach but to have that guy also emerge as your most important player is is it's hard to to put words to to how valuable that kind of thing can be um and kind of create that connection right not only between coach and team but also team and fan base and kind of create this this momentum around the team that that they that that K-State seems to have um real quick before we move any forward um the little apple is the coolest <laughs> nickname for a location in college basketball i'm, I, I'm a massive fan um, i think uh, it is my favorite i think i don't remember his his recently but tank said something about not liking the little apple i believe because wow i think i i, I could be completely wrong but i feel like uh, I feel like he said that. I may be wrong, but I felt like he said something that was like, we're not going to be like the little apple. We're I was going to be the apple. I think he said something like that. I, I probably, I hope I'm remembering that right. But I mean, anything with him, it's like, we're not, we're not secondary. We're right. not little. We're not anything. We are them. And that's just, but the little apple, I do like it. Like uh, we have a ton of like bowling alleys here called little apple lanes. Uh <laughs> Uh, I'm actually in a uh, men's yoga class, and um, it's at Little Apple Pilates, and we just have a whole bunch of Little <laughs> Apple things. And so Sounds yeah, like... it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I could totally see why Tang wouldn't like that. That's that's not exactly mm-hmm. his, his MO, but apparently he's got a lot of work to do to change that around the entire city. So I'm yeah. curious to see. I don't think see. that's too big of a deal for him. It's not too big of a deal. <laughs> it's nothing compared to the, uh, I mean, he got the student section to stop chanting yeah. at you. Yeah. I mean, that that's probably the greatest <laughs> accomplishment. I mean, I, if you just go out to Aggieville, our local bar district here, I, I mean, before Tang, it's just like, there's just some type of music going on, and then just a FKU chant starts, and that always <laughs> I found a little like, come on, we're better than that, and so to, to stop that is something huge, it, definitely. You know, it's it's one of those things that I like. I have a complicated relationship with court storming in general, just because I think it implies that you feel like you're inferior to the team that you just mm-hmm. beat, and there are times. I mean, I I was part of two different court stormings at Butler. But I think, you know, we beat number one Villanova and they hadn't lost in like 20 games. And like nobody was pretending that Butler was on the same level as Villanova as a basketball program. But you come into, and and I think it's a little different when you're in the same state and you have the same, you know, right. The state is in both of your names and, and one of those teams is just, Right, it's death, death taxes, and the and Kansas finds a way to win the Big Twelve regular season title, yeah. and and to come in with that to not only, right, it's one thing to 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 expect to compete, and another to change the, the makeup and the kind of the the twine that that threads through your program because I, I like I feel like when you go back and look at Kansas State's recent history, it's way better than you might think it is. Oh yeah, like like the the success is is. A, to a much higher degree than if you just asked a casual college basketball fan, hey, what's the current state of Kansas State men's mm-hmm. basketball? It's They probably don't think it's as good as it actually is. And to come in with that kind of with that kind of momentum and that kind of of message can do can do wonders to 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 to, to the faith that a program has. Um, I, it is one of my favorite things about how Tang has approached the job is we are not inferior to Kansas. We might lose mm-hmm. to Kansas some, but we are going to, it's going to be just as tough for them to beat us as it is for us mm-hmm. to beat them. And we're going to be on an even playing field. And that's just, that's that's about the best way to come into a program like Kansas State when you have a giant that is Kansas kind of mm-hmm. looming just down the road. Yeah, Tang is, if you, I mean, beforehand, I didn't know much about Tang, but if you, Obviously, in hindsight, but it's like if you had to hire one coach for Manhattan, Kansas, it's Drum Tank. He's the perfect <laughs> archetype. But going back to court storming, um, when I was covering, because I'm not the usual basketball beat. I have three writers, but I, but for that, I covered the KU game, and I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my gosh, final play, like they're gonna win, mm-hmm. and all the fans are storming. I'm like, man, I had to cover. I sort of wish I was one of the fans, <laughs> but uh, I think I, I do agree that court storming sometimes can be ridiculous. I, I was having a conversation with some buddies about Indiana when they beat Purdue this past oh, yeah. Saturday about it, but I think that was pretty big for them. But I think if you were to tell me that the, against KU was final court storming for a long time, I think it's just perfect. I think mm-hmm. that entire night for K-State's basketball culture was just I think it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't write it better. You had a huge lob. At Tang, I mean, I'm just like, that's still like, I think I was just like, 
oh, what he is talk. I, I was just shocked that he grabbed a mic, started talking. It was like LeBron last night grabbed a mic when he broke the record. I'm like, what is he doing with the mic? Yeah. Gotta get back to basketball. <laughs> but just, just, uh, I think that was perfect. And the way he's changed the culture, it's just next level. And watching KU, KU still ranked higher. And I'm Jalen Wilson is just watch. I was watching KU Texas games, and Jalen Wilson never play well. So you still KU's probably still a better team. They're more talented team. They probably still have the best player in that matchup. But it's not like, oh, this is some huge upset. Now it's just like, okay, win the game. You mm-hmm. can do it. You have the potential. KU may be a little more talented. You may have the better best player who I'm Wilson again, Wilson's just besides the Texas game, he's been great. But it's just it's it's completely changed. It's just that the playing field is about even now. And you really can't ask for more. You're not going to ask to be beating Bill Self twice a year. That's basically <laughs> I actually I grew up a KU fan. And mm. so I sort of do know you're not beating Bill Self twice. <laughs> and that home game, people were talking about beating KU. I was like, I don't know. You don't beat Bill Self twice. So, but just beat him. But if that were ever to happen in a recent future, I, that'd be a whole nother step. Obviously, a national title just puts K-State beyond. But where they are right now, you couldn't ask for anything better. And looking forward to kind of the rest of this season, 7-4, and four, Big 12 play, still right there in the jumbled mess that is the top of the Big 12. Mm-hmm. What And the other thing that, that Josh and I were kind of talking about, the road schedule relative to the rest of the Big 12, is about as good as you could ask for the rest of the way. A lot of those Mm quote-unquote big games left are at home. Where do you kind of put Kansas State's, you know, chances of sharing the regular season title? Kind of what are you looking for the rest of the regular season as this team prepares to head to the NCAA tournament? Uh, I'd give K-State a a good chance as anyone in the Big 12 to win or co-win the Big 12 title, especially because – uh, TCU, they're probably going to take a fall. I, I mean, they're already sort of taking a fall without Miles. Miles is going to be huge for them. But uh, KU, Iowa State, Texas, um, already split with KU, uh, already split with Texas. Uh, uh, next Saturday will be huge against Iowa State. That's probably going to be the defining game at home, 5 p.m. next Saturday. Iowa State in that match, K State generally didn't look great, but they still competed till the very end. So if you tell me in uh, a week from this Saturday that K State wins their next, beats Texas Tech, beats Oklahoma, beats Iowa State, I mean, Baylor is another big matchup, but then every away game, I'm looking at K State, it's like you're only losing if you screw it up yourself. And they'd have to play pretty poorly, I think, to lose, even though the whole Big 12 is pretty good. Texas Tech was up on K-State at half and now playing them this Saturday. So everyone is a tough out, but K-State does their job. They're winning every away game. They can split their home games, especially beat Iowa State. I'd give them as good a shot as anyone, and then it depends. Does KU keep up this momentum? They seem up and down. I, everyone's just sort of like no one's flowing straight. So I give the Wildcats a good chance to anyone to win the regular season title. And it'll just depend on those two home games and the rest of the top dogs. 
Awesome, Luke. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We've been wanting to have a Kansas State interview since <laughs> this became a thing and it became clear that Jerome Tang was was ready to, to make some noise now. So we really appreciate your perspective and you, you taking some time to chat with us. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. This was great. It's always good to talk about K-State right now. Uh, I came. I became sports editor at the perfect time. <laughs> uh football basketball i have to shout out uh chase who sports are before me but he's there for two weeks so i it was like the fourth week he left for something else and i got to be sports editor and it's just a great opportunity and great opportunity to be able to talk to you guys and talk to more people about k-state absolutely thanks for taking the time man thank you luke thanks so much for taking the time to hop on the pod What's the biggest thing that stands out to you about Jerome Tang and his biggest, you know, and the things that he has changed about that program, about that, that place in that basketball team, what stands out to you? Yeah, I'm not necessarily surprised by this, but what stood out to me was how clear Luke wanted to make it that people's Kansas state students, Kansas state fans their perception, their philosophy has changed because of what Jerome Tang has implemented, which there was a reason I brought this up and we talked about this right after that Kansas game. This idea of, okay, you get one court storming because this is significant for the program, right? There's some historical gravitas to this. And now we don't do this anymore because we expect to beat every team that comes into this building. And actually hearing how... And this is why it's so valuable to actually get somebody who is on campus all the time, I think, too, and talking to people about this team all the time. Hearing how the people have actually shifted their mindset and bought into that, and that that wasn't something that people were really thinking about before Jerome Tang came. And now that he's been preaching that, everybody is buying into it. That was one of the things that stood out to me. For sure. For sure. It is It is. My favorite thing about how Tang has taken over that mm-hmm. program, right? Yeah. The on-court success is great, and as a K-State, as K-State fans, right, I'm sure that that is the thing that has made the biggest impact because, of course, it has. But to but but that's the kind of thing that maintains success rather than just catching fire in a bottle with yep. two of the best five players in the Big Twelve. That is the type of thing that reinforces winning on an on an annual basis. Yep expectations Um, same thing with matt painter at purdue Mm -hmm. last time that last time that kansas state beat kansas by the way uh was february 5th of 2019 so almost exactly five years um since the last time sorry four years simple math um since the last time they were they were able to beat they were able to beat the jayhawks the other thing as soon as he started talking about Antoine Davis, all I could think about is just imagine if those two guys were in the backcourt together. I don't know exactly how successful it would be in the Big 12, but boy, would it be fun to watch. It would certainly be fun to watch. You know, it's <laughs> the other night. So Detroit Mercy, not, you know, not great, right? Not great. Oh, this is, hold on one second. 10 and 15 this year is Detroit Mercy. Antoine Davis, I believe, is the is the country's leading scorer. But all of this to say, on on Saturday, 
I they were playing Purdue Fort Wayne, and Purdue Fort Wayne is like a solid mid major this year. Sixty seventh at Kempom to Detroit Mercy's not sixty seventh at Kempom. There's no way they're sixty seventh at Kempom. I was going to say, what was I looking at? What was I looking at? They're not great. Detroit Mercy isn't great either. But Purdue Fort Wayne is like solid, and I made the mistake of betting against Detroit Mercy, and then Antoine <laughs> Davis just like went off, and they won by thirty three. Antoine Davis had 32. It went from like, the score went from like 40 to 33 to the final score being 85 to 52. (laughs) And I bet on Purdue Fort Wayne to cover. It's fine. It is what it is. But I made that mistake. I made that mistake. But you're right. That would have been an absolute blast for sure. You got anything else? No. Those are really the two highlights for me. You know, uh, this is a Thursday pod, so I suppose in typical Thursday fashion, mm. I'll throw some of the bigger games of the of the weekend at you. Um, it is a pretty big sports weekend elsewhere, in case Indeed. you are living under a rock and didn't know that the Super Bowl was happening this weekend. The Super Bowl is, is happening this weekend. Um, so not a ton of knock-your-socks-off matchups, at least, at least on paper, happening in college basketball this week, this weekend. Um, Alabama is at Auburn, you know, two weeks ago, that would have been a little bit bigger of a deal. So, um, Alabama is at Auburn. UConn is at Creighton. UConn, a big W against Marquette. So we'll see. <laughs> Literally, and metaphorically. Literally and metaphorically. Um, they're at Creighton. So that one, um, Duke is at Virginia and Baylor is at TCU. That kind of headlines everything. Um, there are a couple of other solid games but nothing nothing too crazy in that category uh the purdue boilermakers are at northwestern on sunday so that was that's a tough one uh, in, in evanston but other than that not a not a ton going on but we'll find something to talk about on monday um who you got in the super bowl is this even a question should i even ask you no are you see, a little nervous see, are you a little nervous oh i'm more than a little nervous see it's funny because i've been telling people all week i I know it makes no sense. I felt way more confident in the 2017 slash 2018 team. Interesting. The Chiefs. This yeah, team is. I mean, a- I'm, I mean, I, I'm. I seem to be the only one in you know of any of the people who consume football. Is that like we talked about how important the quarterback position is, and then we get to the playoffs and come up with reasons not to pick the team with the better quarterback. Um, Jalen Hurts is is fine. Okay, Jalen Hurts is fine. He's good enough to carry a team this good he's enough to been, the he's Super been Bowl. Than fine. He's been fine. In the playoffs, he's been fine. Oh, fine. Oh, I mean. But Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL yeah. far and away, even with a bum ankle. So I'll I'll go ahead and take the team that has. The, and oh. and somehow we've 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 managed to get it into the Chiefs' head that no one believes in the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes, and like nobody gave them a chance to win at home against the Bengals. It's yeah. crazy town. Crazy. That, that's town. what that is. Honestly, what is scaring me more than anything else. The, I mean, this is this is very simple, and it's why I was so confident the last time, and I'm not as confident this time. Mm-hmm. If if Kansas City's offensive line doesn't hold up, it's over. They're just a much better offensive line than they were when Tampa Bay shredded them. And I know mm-hmm. the Eagles had 70 sacks, and the Eagles' defensive line is phenomenal. They have to be phenomenal in this game, though, to win, and I don't think they're going to be able to get quite enough pressure. They're going to get enough to make this – I mean, it's gonna, you, it's a coin flip. 
Mm. Just, at the end of it, you're right. You need one play to decide something. Give me Patrick Mahomes. Cause he, you know, went down the field in nine seconds when he needed to, or yep. whatever it was. That's, 13, that's, I think. Yeah. 13, whatever. Yeah. I, field goal game, but Kansas city makes the play in the end. That's my prediction. I'm in. I'm in. I got nothing else. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the Podbean. I haven't said that in a while. Check out the Twitter and the TikTok. Thank you. Please. We appreciate you. And we'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. Yeah.